0: Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Raise your hand if you've heard that before. All the Godhead means is the Trinity. It's the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He's three in one. It's a really weird concept. Our finite minds were not really meant to fully see the fullness of what that even is. We have this concept, and this is as close as we get to understanding what that is. God is this eternal being who's always been here. He's never had a beginning. Eternity past. Father, the Son, the Spirit, they've always been here. That's so hard for us to even like, try to wrap our minds around. We have a hard time understanding the vastness of the universe, and we know the universe has an end. It's ever-expanding, but it has an end. And it's such a massive number. Have you guys ever gone on YouTube rabbit trails and, like, seen just how big planets are? It's like, this is Earth, and then this is this, and then this is that. And it's just it pales in, you know, our, our Earth pales in comparison to all that's in the universe. And God is even outside of all of that. And it's like, God, it's so hard. to It's hard to fathom our minds, are, you know, It's so hard for us to fathom that. And so if we go back to that slide, God is three in one. He's one single God, but he's, and he's undivided. Undivided. One God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So when we say God, generally we mean the Father, right? And we're like, oh God, you know, we're thinking the Father. We say Jesus, we're thinking the Son. But they're the same. God is the Son, the Spirit, uh, and the Father. So I just want to kind of give you guys that backdrop there. First of all, the Godhead is the Trinity. Let's talk about Holy Spirit first. Who's the Holy Spirit? Who is God the Spirit? He dwells within every believer of Christ. If you're a believer, you claim Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. It's not just some prayer that you said one day, but this is something that you you have a deep conviction about Jesus is my savior. He's my Lord. I'm gonna mess up. You're not gonna be perfect 100%, but you're a genuine believer. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You have God, the spirit inside of you. He dwells with every believer. John 14 says, uh, 15 through 17 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You got the Holy Spirit in you. God, the spirit. He's inside of you at all times. He's with you. He's our friend. He's our comforter. When you're going through whatever you're going through, you can stand and remind yourself that God, the spirit Is with you. He's called the Paraclete. That's the person that it's the Paraclete is is the the one that, that, that is with you at all times. He joins with you. He's next to you. He's he's beside you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the God that we serve. He's with you at all times. He's the source of our conviction. How many of you guys have ever screwed up and felt convicted about it? Raise your hand. I'm sure I hope all of us do. I hope all of us raise our hand there. John 16, seven through eight says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I I go away. This is Jesus again. Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's telling them, it's to your advantage that I leave. He's talking about when he dies and he goes to the father. It's to your advantage that I leave, that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Guys, when you mess up, you're going to feel a lot of things. Two of those things are guilt, which the Lord uses through conviction to let us know that, man, that's not who I'm called to be. I'm not, I, I, I'm not called to do this thing. And you feel guilty about it, and that's okay. That guilt leads to repentance. It leads to, you know... That's, that's conviction. But when you feel shame, shame keeps us from, from closeness. Shame, it robs us of intimacy. If I feel shameful in front of my wife, that's going to affect our intimacy. And I'm not just talking about sex. I'm, not just talk, I'm talking our intimacy, the way that I open up about myself, the way that I open up my heart to my wife. If I have shame about something I'm I'm going to be I'm going to be living in 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 fear. I'm going to hide certain things. And that affects that's the same thing with our walk with the Lord. When we mess up, if you feel shame and you feel a need to back off of the Lord. I want you to re, I want you to take a second and reflect on what you're feeling in that moment. And if it's causing you to pull back from the Lord, I want you to remind yourself, no, that's shame. That's not from the Lord. The Lord gives me guilt. Okay, I got, I got guilt right now. Yes, I do feel bad about what I did. But instead of drawing away, I got to come closer. And the thing is, it's not you coming closer. It's also him coming closer. Scripture tells us that if we draw near to him, he draws near to us. That's a promise. So when you mess up and you feel guilt, don't draw away. That's shame. He already sees it all anyway. Think about Adam and Eve when he messed up in the garden. He went and hid And what did God ask? He says, Adam, where are you? He already knew where he was at. He already knew where he was at. There's nothing that you can hide. Draw close. He's a safe place for you to to come to when you've messed up. However big or little that mess up is, he's a safe place. He's a comforter. He's our friend. That's the God that dwells within you, okay? That's the spirit. Who's God the son? God, the son, we know him as Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. That's the Jesus that was, that came to this earth, right? But pre-Jesus, pre, pre him being born 2000 years ago, he was always here with the father, with the spirit. We call him the son of God. He was, he's always been God, the son I know it's hard for us to fathom because it's like we understand that, you know, the father in in natural terms, the father comes first and then the son comes. They've always been. It's such a crazy concept. It's the Trinity. It's the Godhead. So pre-birth of Christ, he was the son of God. Um, He was also known as the angel of the Lord. If you ever just go through and read a bunch of the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, Old Testament, you'll see a bunch of references. You can Google search this. And look up the angel of the Lord. And anytime you hear uh, the angel of the Lord appeared, that is what we call a Christophany. That's an appearance of Jesus before he was ever born on this earth 2,000 years ago. The angel of the Lord, let's look at um, Exodus 3, 2 to 4. It says, there the angel of the Lord appeared to him. We're talking about Moses here. Remember the, remember the story about Moses when he sees the burning, the burning bush, right? There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that through the bush, I'm oh, sorry, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. So the angel of the Lord, aka Jesus, before he was ever born, he comes and sets, a, sets this bush on fire, but it's not burning. So Moses thought, I'm gonna go over and see what this strange sight is, why the bush isn't burning up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, Look what it says. God called to him from within the bush. If it was just an angel, he wouldn't call himself God, right? God called to him from within the bush. The angel of the Lord, you're going to see, if you guys ever do a Google search, I I challenge you, go do it. Go search up the angel of the Lord in all these instances. And we're looking at Christophanes. These are appearances of God, the son, before he was ever born on this earth. Whenever... um, whenever um give me a sec. so we have uh you know oh he when he wrestled with jacob we know the story of you know uh jacob wrestling with the angel we hear that as, oh he's wrestling with an angel he was wrestling with jesus pre being born it's really awesome and you're gonna see this all throughout scripture so i encourage you guys to go look at that pre-birth of christ he was the son of god he was also called the angel of the lord um The universe was made by him did you know that Jesus made the universe God the father didn't make the universe or at least this universe all the scripture tells us that Jesus made this universe Jesus did John 1 if you guys go read John 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God everything that was formed was was made by him it's talking about Jesus Jesus made everything that you see that's really awesome Number two, he was sent willingly by the father to come and die for us. We know this. This is is the, the cornerstone of our faith is the death of Christ, right? God sends Jesus. Jesus goes willingly. Guys, we sometimes think that God is this being that is angry at us. He's just this angry guy and that Jesus loves us and he's like, no, no, God, don't, don't hit them. Don't smite them. I, I, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go for them and I, I love them. You, you hate them, but I love them. That's not God. That's not God the Father. God loved, it said, for God lo- so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were messed up, while you were jacked up. God so loved the world, Christ died for us. God sends his son because he loves us. Jesus goes for us because he loves us, right? And so it says, uh, you know, he was sent willingly by the father, by their love for us, so that Jesus could be the final sacrifice. We know that there was a sacrificial system. They had to slaughter lambs. They had to sacrifice lambs just to, uh, you know, know, uh, appease God, according to, you know, Jewish tradition, they had to, they had to sacrifice lambs to, to pay for their sins. There had to be a shedding of blood. So Jesus says, I'm going to put a stop to that. I'm going to send a final sacrifice, the most powerful sacrifice that there ever has been. Jesus, he sheds his blood for us so that it'll tear the veil between us and him. Do you guys catch that? When Jesus dies, the veil in the temple that separated us from his presence, it tore. He died and the veil tore. It wasn't some, you know, little you know kid that was just like <laughs> running around the temple like ripping things. God tears the veil when Jesus dies. And he's signifying that there is no longer any separation between us and the Father. Jesus and, the, and God, they come to this earth to be the final sacrifice so that there is no separation anymore. They want nearness. They want closeness. They want relationship with you. They want intimacy with you. And again, when we, I think sometimes when we say intimacy, the first thing we go to is a sexual thing. Intimacy, that, that's only a part of it. That's something that, we, you know, the Lord gave us and it's great, but intimacy is so much more than that. He calls us to intimacy within himself. Guys, uh, Pastor Josh uh, Sponsler said it last week. If I only talk to my wife once a week, a couple times a week, am I intimate with my wife? Does she know me? Do I have a good relationship with my wife? No. That's not what the Lord calls us to. The Lord isn't calling us to, you know, uh, you know just to know him a couple days a week. He's not just calling us to acquaintanceship. He's calling us to intimacy. Think about that for a sec. The person that you want to be intimate with the most, that you want, to, you know, you want them to know you the most, you want to know them the most, that level, that level of desire that you have to be close with that, whoever that is, that's, that's what the Lord wants, and he wants it even so much more than you, can even, than you can even grasp. So that's what Jesus did for us, right? He sheds his blood for us to forgive us of our sins. Everything you've ever done, everything you've ever felt shame, uh, shameful about, his blood covers. His blood covers. He did it for us. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Guys, that's huge. Don't let that ever be common to you. Don't ever let that be common to you. What Jesus did on the cross allows you to come close to the Father. That's amazing. Again, the Father, in his presence, his fullness of joy, at his right hand are pleasures evermore, that Father, so that you can be close to him. That's what Jesus did for you. Let's talk about God the Father now. In Ezekiel 1, 26 to 28, I'm gonna paint a picture here for you. I want you to try to imagine this. First of all, how many of you guys have ever tried to read the book of Revelation? (laughs) It's crazy, it's crazy. There's a um, a lot of symbolism, a lot of imagery, but they all mean something, right? Symbols mean things. So let's look at what Ezekiel says. Uh, First of all, before we read Revelation, let's look what Ezekiel says about God. Above the expanse, over their heads. Again, Ezekiel, we're talking, he's looking into heaven right now. Above their heads was what looked like a throne of sapphire. Have you guys ever seen sapphire before? It's just like vibrant blue gem. It's beautiful. And high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up. He looked like glowing metal. Guys, he's, he's seeing this and he's like, he can't even fathom what he's seeing. That's why if you keep looking at what, like, look at what he's saying. He's, he's like, oh, he, he looked like this. Uh, it appeared to be his waist. There's all, he can't even comprehend what he's seeing. He can't even comprehend what he's seeing. It's so different. God isn't just this man up in heaven. Guys, it says that God is spirit. Can you imagine what a spirit looks like? Like we have like, we have ideas of what that looks like, but it's so hard to describe. And so he's seeing God, first of all, the, the, the king of Kings, the, the highest above every name. And he's saying that it, well, from, uh, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up. He looked like glowing metal. Have you guys ever seen glowing metal? It's like, it's, it's super vibrant red. It's hot. You don't want to touch it. It's, glowing metal and it looked like from from his waist up was glowing metal as if it was full of fire and that from there down looked like fire so from his waist up he looks like this burning metal like fire and from his waist down he looks like fire and brilliant light is surrounding him as if fire is not already bright enough brilliant light is surrounding him like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day so was the radiance around him He's saying, he's seeing these like, he's seeing like a rainbow-like thing surrounding God, but it's not a rainbow. He says that it was, it was like this radiance. Picture a ra- like a rainbow, right? You're outside. Have you guys ever been really close to a rainbow or even just from afar? You're like, you look at it and you're like, dude, that thing is like, it's just hanging there in the sky, but it's, it's completely transparent. Like you can't touch it. It's this thing that's, that's just reflecting off of the water vapor, around God, around this throne room, radiance surrounds him like a rainbow. It's visible. Imagine that. Try to imagine that. That's crazy. So here's this God who's full of fire. He's, he's described as this fiery being. I don't know about you guys, but if I saw this man, like a guy that's just like pure fire, glowing like fire, and around him is this light that's just coming from nowhere, like that's kind of scary. That's kind of scary looking. That's not just some, oh yeah, well, that's, you know, some you know, bearded dude on a, on a throne in heaven. His eyes, here, let's, let's do this. Let's go to Revelation 1, 14 through 16. So now we're moving to the book of Revelation. The very first chapter says his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, but his eyes were like blazing fire. Imagine that his eyes are like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. What did Ezekiel describe God as? The, the top half of God, it said that he was glowing like metal, like burning metal as if with fire. Now we have John the Revelator in Revelation saying the same thing. He's seeing God. Ezekiel sees God in the Old Testament. Then we see John the Revelator having a revelation of God. And he's, saying, descri- he's describing him as the same, same thing. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I like to fish. I like to go out and fish. A lot of times I'll go to a dam. Can I say that word from the pulpit? I mean, um, I'll go to a dam and they'll open up, they'll open up the, you know, the gates to let water flow because, you know, the lake might be getting too high. The collection of water might be getting too high. So they'll open up the gates. And sometimes I'll fish where they're releasing the water. And it's not just like this like cute little ravine. It is loud. It is a a rushing sound. I can't even describe it. I can't like all like, oh, sounds like a bunch of horses running. No, it's way louder than that. It's, It's this gushing amount of water. And it says that his voice is like rushing waters. Go ahead and bring that back up for a sec. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. His eyes are like fire. And his voice as he's speaking is like the sound of rushing waters. It's loud. It's loud. And he is this burning being. Go ahead and go to the next one, please. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. His face is shining. His eyes are like fire. His feet are like burning bronze. His body is like burning metal. His legs are like fire. Guys, this is not just some typical man. He's not a man. He's spirit. And he's crazy looking. <laughs> like that's not, that's not normal, right? He's, so the word holy I'm gonna get into this here in a second anyway, but the word holy means different, set apart. That God is so holy, he's so different. The creatures in heaven, and we're gonna talk about this right now, the creatures in heaven, the angels in heaven, the the elders in heaven cry over and over and over for all eternity, they cry holy, 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 because they're seeing him, this crazy looking being, and they're so overwhelmed Guys, they're overwhelmed. They're crying it out. Holy, holy, holy. That's the only word that they can, that's the only word that they can, can let out because of what they're seeing. Let's keep going here. Light and glory surrounds him like a rainbow, right? Everything in heaven is stricken with complete awe. Everything in heaven is stricken with complete awe. They're seeing the Father here. Let's look at Revelation 4 for a second. This is pretty crazy. 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. These are elders that the Lord has, the Lord has elevated. Can you imagine like who these people are, who these beings are that God has elevated them to be elders in heaven? Like, think about that. Think about the kings that we put on this earth. Think about the people that we vote into presidency, the people that we vote into office. These are people that God has elevated to be elders in heaven with crowns. Who are these people? It says uh, 24 thrones surrounded him. 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and they had gold crowns on their heads. Go ahead and go to the next one. From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. So there's all this crazy noise coming from his throne. And then on top of that, his voice sounds like rushing waters. It is loud. It is bright. He's, it's burning with fire. Guys, this is a crazy scene. This is not some boring old dude sitting on a throne somewhere ruling from heaven from a cloud. This is a crazy, amazing, glorious being. The most glorious being in all of existence. And in front of the throne... We're seven torches with burning flames. This is the, seven, the sevenfold spirit of God. So the spirit of God's up there in heaven. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling with like crystal. In the center and around the throne were four living beings. So we have 24, 24 elders with crowns. They're rulers, they're elders. Now we have four living beings. I want you to picture this, guys. This is crazy. Around this throne are four living beings. Each covered with eyes, covered. Think about that. These four creatures, these four beings, and they're covered with eyes, head to toe. Kind of gross looking if you try to like imagine that. Like I I hate spiders, dude. And every time I see spiders and they're eight eyes, I'm like, dude, something's wrong with that. Like that's not. I don't think God created that. I don't know. I don't know. They're covered with eyes. Front and back. Go, ahead and, go to the next one, please. The first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings. And their wings were covered all over with eyes. <laughs> They're covered with eyes, and then they have six wings, and each of their six wings are covered with more eyes inside the wing and outside the wings. Day after, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was, all eternity past, he's never had a beginning, who is and who is still to come. And it says, whenever the living beings give glory and honor, and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down, the, guy, the guys with the, throne, with, the, with, the, with the crowns, they fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the, before the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, O God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Guys, these elders who are elders in heaven with crowns in heaven, they're like, What crowns? For what? Look at the guy that we're looking at. He's so holy. They fall down off of their own thrones and they cast their crowns before him. They're like, what royalty? Here, this belongs to you. They're so overwhelmed by him. These creatures in heaven with eyes all over their bodies and eyes all over their wings, they're covered in eyes. They're falling before the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. Because every single time they look up, They see a new facet of him, a new way that he is so different than anything in existence. This is the God that we serve. They have eyes all over because they were created to see every aspect of God. But every time they look up with a different side of their eyes, with a different part of their body, because there's eyes everywhere, they're, they're seeing a whole new depth of God. And they can only help but cry, holy, holy, holy. Guys, they are completely awe-stricken by the one they are seeing. This is awesome. This is the kind of God that we serve. He is endlessly fascinating. Endlessly fascinating. I'm a museum, a museum guy. I travel a lot for work. So anytime I go to a new city, I try to go to you know, different museums and, and see the sights and stuff. And um, this last week I was in St. Louis and they have the arch there. That thing is huge. Like, we have a couple arches in downtown Dallas. Eh, compared to that. That thing is so huge, and I literally walked up to it. It was nighttime. I probably shouldn't have done that. You know, it's kind of sketch because it's like a park, and it's all dark and stuff, but there's lights that are beaming on top of this arch, and you look up, and just as far as I can see, it's just this crazy, huge, tall tall um, arch, and it's so fascinating. But to imagine that God is even more fascinating. I didn't fall on my knees like, oh my God, this is so amazing. I was like, dang, this is crazy. But it didn't cause me to fall to my knees. Guys, they they can't help it. They can't help it. They They have to bow before him. They cast their crowns before him. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Their royalty doesn't even matter. They cast it all before him and crying, holy, holy, holy. We will enjoy, we will enjoy all of eternity with God side by side, just like in the garden, just like in the garden. When we pass away and the Lord makes a new heaven, a new earth, we will rule with him. We will walk with him just like God did with Adam and Eve in the garden. And we were made to enjoy it heaven's not this boring thing guys heaven is crazy fascinating wonderful pleasures forevermore no sickness no tears no sadness no death all of that right we understand all that but i want to remind you of the vastness the glory of that i want to rem- that's what i'm trying to do here th- th- this morning i'm trying to get you guys to to be reminded of the glory of not just heaven, but the glory of the Father, the one that we worship. We don't worship heaven. We look forward to it. But the Lord wants to bring heaven to earth anyway. He's going to remake it. He's gonna, he says that he's going to make a new heaven and he's going to make a new earth. We're not worshiping heaven. We're looking forward to the day that we can be joined to him and experience, experience the benefits of heaven 100%. But he's what we're going after. Guys, you think that that being is worthy of your worship? Yes, he's so worthy of it. If, they, if they're seeing him and they can't even help but cry holy, holy, and they can't help but fall on their knees. Guys, that's what we need to remind ourselves of, of who he is when we worship. So when we worship, um, remind yourself of that God. Remind yourself of that being with eyes of fire. Remind yourself of that. He's full of fire. Just fire, top fire, bottom fire, feet fire, eyes, everything. Fire, fire. All right. Let's go on to the next thing here. God's greatest pleasure is in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' greatest pleasure is in the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit's greatest pleasure is to the Father and the Son. They have this fellowship. They have this fellowship together, and their greatest pleasures are in each other. Jesus' greatest pleasure on, while he was on this earth was to glorify the Father and to do what the Spirit was saying. And God's greatest pleasure was in Jesus as Jesus was sent to be our final sacrifice, the, the mediator, right, between us and the Father. Matthew three seventeen says, And behold, a voice from the heavens said, when Jesus died on the cross, it said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God spoke through the clouds, through the moment, and he's declaring over Jesus, who just died on the cross, and he's saying, this is my beloved son. Could you imagine God saying that to you? Like audibly, audibly, you got baptized. You come out, you do something, right? And you just hear God's voice, audible voice. And he's like, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. That's no ordinary you know, stuff. That's no small sense. That's huge. God was so pleased with Jesus. That's, that's, that's God's greatest pleasure is in Jesus. Through what Jesus did, through what Jesus did on the cross, he's inviting us to that same fellowship that God has with the son, that the son has with the father, the spirit has with, with it all. Jesus is inviting us to that same fellowship that same communion that God has with Jesus Jesus has with the father the spirit has with the both he's inviting us to that what's the what's the greatest commandment right they asked Jesus hey God or, hey Jesus what's what's the greatest commandment what does he say love God and love others what's first love God that's God's greatest that's God's greatest priority is to love God the son to love God the spirit that's their primary concern And then it says, love others. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We know this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We know this, right? Jesus died for us, yes. 100%. Jesus died so that we can be, so that we could come close to the Father. He loves us. He dies because he loves us 100%, right? But the main priority, the point the point of Jesus dying was to invite us into the love and the fellowship that they have with each other, with each other. You're called to be loved by the father. The way, Je- the, way the father loves Jesus. Dude, God loves Jesus perfectly, right? Jesus loves God perfectly, right? Jesus is inviting us to be loved by the father the same way the father loves Jesus. Jesus says that if you've seen me, you've seen the father, right? If you see Jesus, you've seen the father. In John 15, it says, as the father has loved me, so I love you. Jesus is saying, I love you so much. I love you the same way that God loves me, Jesus. And if you, and, and Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Guys, the father isn't just some, he's not this angry bad dad that just kind of puts up with you and that Jesus is kind of like the mom figure. Who's like, Oh, like I, I love you. Like, you know, he's that's, that's not what's happening. God loves Jesus perfectly. God, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father. And it says that Jesus loves us perfectly as the, as God loves him. God, the father loves you as much as he loves jesus that is huge you're probably thinking i don't i'm not worthy of that kind of love i'm worthy like i'll accept i'll, I'll accept his his you know sacrifice for me and i'll accept his perfect love but man i mean he's got to love jesus way more than he loves me no he's inviting you to that same communion that same fellowship that he has with himself Jesus, the Father, and the Son, the the Father, and the Spirit. Even I get tongue-tied there, guys. God, the Father, loves me. God, the Father, loves me. And the same way as he loves Jesus, the Son, who's been in a perfect, loving relationship for all eternity. For all eternity, Jesus and the Father, they've been and the spirit, they've all been in this perfect loving uh, fellowship, this perfect loving relationship. And Jesus is inviting us into that. Jesus' love on the Father kept him on the cross. I've heard it said before that we kept Jesus on the cross. His love for us kept him on the cross. That's not entirely true. It's partially true. Jesus' primary thing, what, what does he say? When he's on the cross... He says, Lord, if it's your will, take this cup from me. It was so, it was so much to bear. Think about that, man. The, the worst way anybody could ever die. Jesus suffered that for us. And on that cross, he's like, God, if this is your will, take this cup from me. It was a lot for him to bear. But then what does he say? He says, but not my will be done, but yours. He's telling the father, I want your will above everything. His Primary goal was to love God, right? His love for the Father kept him on the cross. Then we have a scripture that says, it's Hebrew 12 2, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And we, like I said, we've heard it be, be, be told before that the joy set before him was us, that he loved us so much that he endured the cross. We are the joy set before him, but really the point of the, so the joy set before him wasn't just us. The joy set before him was a renewed relationship between us and the father. Jesus wanted us to be loved by the father the same way that he's loved by the father. That was the joy. He's imagining us in him experiencing the perfect love of God, the perfect love of God. And that's the joy that was set before him. He wants us to love God with everything that we have and for us to encounter the love of God the same way that the God loves the, f- the son guys do you get this this is huge I know it sounds like I'm repeating myself I'm just trying to drive the point here it's like have you ever had like a revelation before in scripture and you're just like dude like God loves me and you tell your friend dude God loves me, dude. Like, yeah, man, yeah, for sure. He loves you. No, you don't get it. Like, he loves me. And you have this revelation of it that they're just not seeing. They get it, but they don't get it. And that's what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to get it in your heart. So I want you guys to do something with me. I want you guys to go ahead and close your eyes. I want everybody to just shut your eyes for a sec. And I want you to picture the throne room of heaven with tangible, visible glory like rainbows all over heaven, just beaming around the throne. And that glory and that light is surrounding this being who is full of fire. His eyes, I want you to picture his eyes of fire. And they're looking at you. He's this glorious being. Picture the the 24 elders cast their crown's before him. They're on their knees, on their faces. Those four creatures, those four beings with eyes all over, on their knees before him, crying, holy, holy, holy. Jesus is at his right hand. He's sitting right next to the, to the right side of the father. And I want you to look into the father's eyes. Consider what Jesus did. What, did you, what was the point? The point was to allow you to, be, to, 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 to walk into that love that he has with the Father. Picture it. I want you to open up your heart and allow yourself to feel that love. With eyes of fire, he's, he's looking right at you. Through Jesus, All right, you guys can open your eyes now. I'm gonna ask you guys to, to speak here in a second. What were some of the things as you, as you pictured the eyes of the Father, as you pictured his eyes of fire, knowing that he loves you with the same love of Jesus, the same love that he loves Jesus with? I want you to tell me, what were some of the things that you, what were some of his aspects, the, some of the aspects of God that you, possibly felt in that moment as you're seeing the father, as you're picturing him when you're with your spirit, because that's what he's really doing right now, guys. He's looking at you. The father, the son, the spirit inside of you, the father and the son are looking at you from the throne room and they're looking at you with adoration. They're looking at you with love. You saw a smile, a smile. How, how did that smile feel? Like, was it Felt like love. He's looking at you. And a lot of people out there, but he's specifically looking at you, staring right into your soul. Yeah. Yeah. As much as you'd be scared of that fire behind those eyes, It's nothing but love, right? What else? Purification. He's looking at you and he's like, I've cleansed you. I've purified you. And is it out of love or out of anger? Oh, it's out of love. exactly he looks like it's like like he's something that like it would he would consume but those those eyes of fire they purify what else what are some other things that you guys possibly felt in that moment as you were picturing his eyes of fire looking right at you peace come on that's awesome what else i know that when i when i picture that scene and i try to do this often I picture that scene in heaven and when I'm seeing his eyes of fire that consume all, I'm I'm feeling nothing but satisfaction that he's, he's satisfied with me. I feel his love. I feel his peace. I feel his purity, his cleansing. And guys, the crazy thing is that when we experience one thing, think about the creatures in heaven with eyes all over when they experience one thing of Jesus, they lift their their head and they see God, the father. They see a new aspect of him. They might be seeing a new aspect of his goodness or of his peace or of his kindness, of his, you know, of his cleansing. They're seeing a new facet every single time they look up. You can never exhaust his peace the way that he comes in and, and, and purifies and cleanses his love, those eyes of fire of love, every single feature, every single facet of the father that we see and that we encounter, that we feel, we can never exhaust even one of those facets. There is always a greater level of revelation, a greater level of understanding. You think you understand his mercy? You think you understand his kindness, understand his love? You you might've even felt his love before and been so overwhelmed by it. That's the tip. That's the tip. For all of eternity future, we will be encountering greater levels after levels after levels from glory to glory for all eternity. This is not boring, guys. This is not some boring thing that we're doing in heaven. Like, guys, we will be so overwhelmed by him. And we're, it's, 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 You guys guys understand and and, and see the picture now of what's happening in heaven. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. We can never exhaust a single characteristic of God. You can never exhaust it. His kindness is so much greater than what you've already encountered. His love is so much deeper than what you already encounter. So now let's talk about real quick. Who are you? Who are you? We we see who the Father is. We see who the Son is. We see who the Spirit is. We see what's happening in heaven. And we see what Jesus is welcoming us to in that communion with the Father and the Spirit. He's welcoming us into that, to experience the same love that the Father has for the Son. We get all that. So now, who are you? We get who the Father is. We get who God is. Who are you? Number one, you're adopted into the greatest love, and existence. Galatians 4, 5 through 7 says, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Guys, whenever it says sons, whether you're a daughter, whether you're a son, that's you, okay? Put yourself in their shoes. And because you are sons, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, I'll tell you, just to be completely honest with you, I didn't really have a great relationship with my dad. I don't know my biological dad. I I know who he is, I've seen him on Facebook. I don't know him. And the father that I did have, we did not have a good relationship. I did not know what the love of a father was like. But I have this Holy Spirit inside of me that allows me to cry out, Abba, Abba Father, it says that he is a father to the fatherless. You can cry, Abba, Father. Perfect Father, Abba. It's like, it's like a little kid saying to their, to their parent, you know, Daddy, it's not this thing. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You're not a slave of God. You're, no, you're not a slave of God. I saw some guy's post. I'm sorry, uh, his Facebook profile. It was just, he was some, some. Uh, he's, I believe, he's a um, like a reformed, you know, kind of Calvinist preacher. And on his thing, on his like a uh, slogan on his Facebook page, he said, "Slave of Christ." And I get where he's coming from with that, and I and I honor his love for Jesus. But man, he's missing out on so much. You're not a slave. You're no longer a slave, but a son who can cry, Abba, Father. Whatever your relationship with your earthly father was like, this is a perfect example of perfect love, of perfect fatherhood. And that spirit within you allows you to cry, Abba, Father. You're adopted. You're wanted. You were selected. It wasn't just some kind of, oh, yeah, well, you know, I kind of think of it like, I tell my mom sometimes, I'm like, Mom, you didn't really get to pick me. I was just kind of what the Lord gave you, you know, like... (laughs) but an adoption you're, you're chosen. You're selected. God wants you. You're adopted. Sonship is not. So you're not just a tool in God's hand. I think, you know, we've heard it said before, like God, let me just be a tool in your hand, Lord. Use me for your glory. Guys, you're not just a tool in his hand. You're not working to gain the father's attention or his affection. You already have it. You're a son. You're a daughter. You are loved. You are wanted. You are chosen. He loves you with everything. You. Yeah, you. The one that doesn't think that you're worthy of it. Accept it. It might take some time, but accept it. Let the Lord come just chip away at that, at those walls. Let him. let him. It's going to be the greatest freedom you've ever felt and the greatest love you've ever felt. You are clean. You are forgiven. You are righteous. 2 Corinthians five twenty one says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, right? If I'm in Christ, I might become the righteousness of God. Dude. God is the most righteous being that has ever been, right? Jesus is purely righteous. In Jesus, I can have the righteousness of God on me. The righteousness of man is but filthy rags. You can be as good as you want to be. You can be as good as you try to be. Oh, you know, I've lived a good life. You know, I try to, I try to, you know, do good for my neighbors, do good for my friends. You know, I don't do any bad things, blah, blah, blah. That's filthy rags in comparison to the righteousness of God. The awesome thing is that Jesus gives you his righteousness, that his blood washes you, you are forgiven, you are clean, you are the righteousness of Jesus. That's awesome. You don't deserve it. It's not that you did, it's because Jesus loves you. And that's what he did for you. That's huge that he did that for you. We are saints. You're a saint. Did you know that? You see these, these statues of, of like old saints and stuff? Sure, they're saints, but so are you. You deserve to have a statue be made of yourself. You are a saint. She's like, yes, I want a statue. You are a saint. It's not about you, right? You don't need no statue. Kick that statue down. It's about Jesus. You're a saint. You're a saint. You're not a sinner. You're not a sinner. For we were once Sinners. You're not a sinner anymore. We are priests. Two more things. We are priests. Think about the priests in, in the temple. What did the priests do? The priests create a place for people to encounter God. The priests were the ones that set up the temple. They set up, you know, when, he, when we were talking about David traveling through the desert, right, and with his armies. They set up this, the, David's tent, The priests were the ones that would set the tent up and they'd create the place for people to come and encounter God. And it was the same place that the Spirit of God would come and dwell with a pillar of fire. When the Philistines were at war with the Israelites, they would see that the pillar of fire followed them on their tent, and they knew that they served the God of Israel, and the God of Israel was with them. That's the priests create this place for people to encounter the presence. You're a priest. 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 priest. You are a, you, your job in Jesus is to create a place, facilitate a place for people to encounter him and for people to experience his presence. So wherever you go, at your job, at home, when you're hosting a community group, your job everywhere you go is to be a priest to, for people to encounter his love, for people to encounter his presence and invite them into the same thing that I just told you about. To experience the love of the father that he has for the son that he has for you. He wants that for everybody. He desires that no one should perish, but that all would have everlasting life. Everyone. And lastly guys, this is the last thing Then I'll let you guys head out. We are gates. The Lord calls us gates. Psalm 24 says, lift up your heads, O you gates. Fling open you ancient gates that the king of glory may enter. You are a gate that the Lord wants to move through. Where the king enters, there his authority is. Where the king enters, there his authority is. If, the, if, if you are a gate and you're allowing the Lord, here Lord, move through me. Move through me, Lord. I want people to encounter you through my life. I want people to encounter you through my life. That's the the position we need to live our daily lives in as best as we can. Lord isn't desiring perfection. He's not desiring perfection. He just wants your yes. He wants your yes. Yes, Lord, use me. Lord, move through me. Allow me to be a gay. I allow you to move through me, Lord. Do what you want so that people will encounter you through me.